Hello, everyone. Welcome back to Fit Body Happy Joints. My name is Shannon. I'm so excited that you're here. Today, we're going to talk about exercise as aging and how it can actually be anti-aging and how it can age you. So there are several hallmarks of aging, and many of them come back to one thing that tends to happen as we age, and that's that we lose muscle. In this podcast, I want to talk about how exercise can be used as anti-aging and how in some cases it can actually accelerate the aging in your body. First, I want to say that I personally think aging is a beautiful thing. I always say that I would never trade my younger body for my older mind. I think the glorification of young people in our society is a little sad. So by no means am I trying to be negative about aging. But I do think that there are ways to optimize our bodies so that we age with grace and with minimal negative side effects. I also want to preface all of this by saying that some people can exercise repetitively, intensely their whole lives and never have issues. So by no means do I want to scare you in this episode, but rather just educate you so that you can make more informed decisions about how you choose to work out and exercise. Just like you would wear sunscreen to reduce the aging effects that too much sun has on your skin, you can do the same thing with exercise to not only fight the signs of aging and preserve your joints, but potentially reverse them. The literature heavily supports using exercise to fight more systemic effects of aging like decreasing blood pressure, improving heart health, improving mental health, etc. I don't think there's any debating that staying active throughout your life will allow you to age with more grace. However, something that isn't widely discussed or understood is that certain types of activities can accelerate aging because of the degeneration to your joints. Less healthy and preserved joints lead to a stiffer, like quote-unquote older feeling body, which is less able to participate in the activities in your life, and often this can even lead to joint replacements. I hear from people all the time who are like, I'm 35, but why does my body feel like I'm 80? And this is often because of wear and tear from their workouts, which can physically age their joints and make you feel and move like you're decades older than you actually are. I think of those tests that like scan your face and they tell you the age of your skin based on the health of your skin and whatever damage it currently has. So the age of your skin can be significantly older or sometimes even younger than your actual chronological age because of the damages that you've put it through. So your joints are the same way. So if we are hoping to age desirably, we want to preserve our body structures like our bones and our ligaments and our cartilage by avoiding irreparable damage in our workouts. I'll use the example of sunscreen again. So when we're young, exposing your skin to the sun might result in a nice looking tan. However, after years of too much exposure, it backfires, right? Leading to acceleration of the aging of your skin. That's where you can physically look older than you actually are. Wearing down your body in your workouts is the same idea. Exposing your body to stressful workouts might potentially create desirable short-term changes like weight loss, but underneath the hood, they could be accelerating joint damage and leading to a higher risk of joint issues like arthritis. So today I want to discuss how exercise can age your joints and where that sweet spot lies in minimizing the effect of aging not only to your metabolism and your bone density and your heart health, but also in a way that keeps your joints as youthful and preserved as possible. This means that you can move and feel and function at a high level as you age. That's the goal, right? Exercising in ways that stimulate muscle growth 
but don't wear down your joints is the optimal way to combat the negative side effects of aging while still maintaining freedom in your movement and reducing the risk of pain in your joints. This causes what I'm calling the upward cascade of strength training. More muscle mass does a lot of desirable things for you. It can actually improve your cardiovascular health. So even if you're not doing cardio, having more muscle mass can improve your heart health. Because if you think about it, when you have more muscle mass, your heart has more tissue to serve. Therefore, it might have to work a little harder and your cardiovascular system improves as a whole. Having more muscle mass can also decrease decrease your blood pressure. It can improve the quality of your sleep. It can improve your bone density. can increase your metabolism. And all of these things allow you to have a more quote unquote youthful body with less body fat and more lean tissue. If you've ever wondered why you hit like your mid 20s and you start to notice that you're eating the same, but you're gaining weight, it's because of a phenomenon called sarcopenia. As you hit around like 25, 30, you start to naturally lose muscle mass. Muscle is the most calorically expensive tissue in your body, meaning that it requires a lot of daily energy from your body. The more muscle you have, the higher your metabolism. So one of the reasons for declining metabolism as you age is due to a decline in muscle mass. And I've talked about this a lot in my podcast, and I even did a podcast about how exercise can increase your metabolism. I think it's podcast number two, so you can go back and look at that if you're interested in learning more. However, we want to exercise in ways that build muscle while still minimizing wear and tear through your joints. I'm going to give you guidance on this, but first I want to talk about some mistakes that I see with exercise and some kind of misconceptions and how it can actually lead to acceleration of aging in your joints. People who are active their whole life are generally trying to diminish the effects of aging in an attempt to keep their body healthy for as long as possible. So People that are active have great intentions, right? We all want to just be healthier versions of ourselves. But often people either go too hard early in life or do too much repetitive cardio or decide to start exercising again and just hit it really hard for a few years and they start to notice their joints wearing down. And like I said, this doesn't happen to everyone. So some people are just genetically blessed and they can tolerate this. But for many of us, especially if you're listening to this podcast, this does happen, right? So repetitive stress through your joints, either through high impact exercises like running and jumping and or exercises that place high stress through your joints like barbell squats, curtsy lunges, side planks, sit-ups, overhead presses, so many popular exercises in the fitness industry that I'm not a huge fan of, honestly. These things can start to cause damage in your joints and lead to arthritis. Here's how this can happen, and we'll use the example of the knee because it's kind of a common joint that tends to accumulate some arthritis. Your knee is formed by the connection of your thigh bone called your femur and your lower leg called your tibia. In between these bones is a small layer of cartilage called your meniscus. The meniscus allows your bones to glide smoothly across each other as you bend and straighten your knee. Think of your meniscus as like a little cushion or a little pad so that your bones aren't scraping against each other. Keeping this structure as healthy and intact as possible is key to avoiding arthritis in the knee. Unlike bones, tendons, and muscles, both cartilage and ligaments don't have much regeneration potential. So keeping those structures, both your ligaments and your cartilage or your meniscus, intact as much as possible is certainly ideal. That will lead to a more youthful feeling and functioning joint. 
When these structures start to wear down from wear and tear with exercise, the buffer between your bones begins to diminish, right? So as that cartilage or as that meniscus is wearing down, that little cushion between your bones starts to get less and less. If the damage to the meniscus accelerates enough, your femur bone begins to rub directly on your tibia each time your knee moves. This friction causes damage to the bone and your body responds by laying down osteophytes, which is basically like little bone spurs. This reduces the bone's ability to move or the joint's ability to move and is often painful. This is how you begin to develop arthritis. High impact exercises, especially those are, that are repetitive, can start to wear down this cartilage and kind of start to accelerate this process. But just working out in low impact ways won't reduce the risk of arthritis. Number one, there's a genetic component, right? So some people are just more genetically predisposed. But number two, you have to understand how force is applied to the joints and if that force is directed in kind of like a torquing or twisting way. Okay, stay with me. So we're going to stay with this knee example. Your knee is a hinge joint, meaning that it bends and straightens. It doesn't really twist. It doesn't really move side to side, unlike your shoulder and hip, right? Your shoulder and your hip, they can twist. They can move side to side really easily. Your knee joint just moves forward and backwards. So your knee, we can kind of imagine it like a cabinet door. The door opens and shuts. But each time, if you open the cabinet door and you kind of pull down on it, After enough repetition, the door will begin to come off as hinges because the force isn't just coming from side to side as you're opening the door, but it's also kind of coming down, right? It's the force is coming in a direction that the hinges don't actually move. So doing this once or twice probably won't cause damage to the hinges or to the cabinet, but repetitively over years and years, the hinges have to be replaced. So exercise is the same way for the knee. You want to place force in a way that is forward and backwards, not side to side on the knee, right? Because the knee doesn't bend side to side. It bends bends forward and backwards. Examples of exercises that place a sideways force on the knee are side lunges, side planks, lateral jumps, speed skaters, curtsy lunges, and single leg squats. So those are just a few examples. So you could see that some of these exercises include jumping, but not all of them. Some of them are low impact, right? But these repetitive sideways or twisting forces through the knee can start to wear down those hinges. Low impact exercise alone is not necessarily the antidote for knee and joint health. Exercise selection is more important. So choosing exercises that load your muscles without stressing your joints is what's going to give you the positive side effects of exercise as an anti-aging modality without the negative effects of unnecessary aging to your joints. This is why working out with someone who has an understanding of physics and joint mechanics and force and all of these things is important for your body's longevity and for your fitness results and to age gracefully. In my opinion, starting this process in your early 20s of really taking care of your joints and starting to think about building muscle is super important. The earlier you start as an adult, the better you will age. It will reduce the risk that you cause irreparable damage to your joints while maintaining and hopefully adding lots of lean muscle mass. But of course, it's never too late to start this process. You may have to be a little bit more careful if you're starting Evlo and you have some joint damage or you have some joint stress, but my clients find that over time, their symptoms slowly start to decrease, their muscle mass increases, and their body feels better and moves easier. It's such a beautiful thing. If you continue to push your body in ways that are wearing down your joints, you may see positive changes in the short term. You may notice muscles, a more lean body, more stamina. However, back to the sunscreen example, not wearing SPF isn't usually a horrible problem in the short term, but it is a problem in the long term after lots of repetition. Exercise is the same way. 
It's not about what you're doing every now and again. It's about what you do repetitively. I see this process happen to people after years or even decades of intense joint damaging exercise. They begin to have a harder time working out and either they continue to push through the pain and end up like with joint replacements and spending their life in physical therapy, or they gradually just kind of get frustrated and give up altogether. In my opinion, neither of these options are good ones. Because muscle growth and or muscle maintenance takes consistency. And if you can't be consistent because your joints are all worn down, it will be much more difficult to maintain muscle mass. Of course, again, I have to reiterate, your genetics are at play here. And some people may never have issues with joint demanding workouts. But my guess is, again, (laughs) if you're listening to this podcast, you want to take care of yourself as best as possible and prevent any of these issues for yourself. So how do we exercise in ways that are truly anti-aging across the whole spectrum, including the health of our joints? Okay, so three main principles. Number one, like I alluded to earlier, exercise selection is the most important part. Not every exercise is created equal. When we take, when we peel it back and look at exercise from an academic lens, there's physics involved. And so there's risk and reward for every single exercise that you choose. And as I was talking about with the knees, low impact isn't better if your exercise selection is still stressing out your joints. So let's take another potent example of the squat versus the step up. Two low impact exercises, right? There's no jumping involved. So if we are looking for effectiveness to the glutes and less stress to the discs of the spine, the step up wins every time, (laughs) even if you are holding more weight in a squat. So I drew out the mechanics comparing a squat holding a 100 pound barbell to a body weight step up. And I calculated the forces to the glutes in each exercise. If you're interested in seeing a visual of this, you can find the exact calculations in my stick figure highlight on Instagram. If you're not following me, um, my Instagram is drshannondpt. That's dr.shannon.dpt. Anyway, here's what's crazy. Even though you're holding 100 pounds more in a squat, the step up still targets each glute with about 300 pounds per inch more of force. A body weight step up targets the glutes more with my body proportions, that a squat holding 100 pounds. This is for several reasons. And again, I'm not getting into the biomechanics in this episode, but just to kind of touch on it. So number one, a squat is on two legs where a step up is on one leg. So in a squat, you're dividing the work between two limbs. Number two, in a step up, you have to lift more of your body, right? So you're also lifting up your back leg. And then number three, in most squats, the quad is assisting where in a step up, if the hips are positioned kind of backwards, the quad is assisting very little. The beauty of choosing a step up over a heavyweight squat is that there's zero additional compression to the discs of the spine in a body weight step up. Spinal compression is a huge issue as humans. Gravity is always pulling downward on our spine and disc degeneration is extremely common. In my opinion, the last thing we want to do is compress our discs more, especially when there is an exercise right in front of us that can target the desired muscles more effectively without the additional compression to the spinal discs. So this is just an illustration as to why exercise selection is so important and why kind of looking at exercise from an academic lens can make such a difference in your body and how we can choose exercises that have the least amount of stresses to structures we don't want to stress like our spinal discs and more to muscles that we do want to stress like our glutes. And I think this is why Evlo is so effective because we calculate the amount of force to the muscle And each exercise is meticulously studied and selected because it will have the greatest reward with the smallest amount of risk. In other words, each class is designed to basically be anti-aging, right? 
So principle number one to using exercise in a way that will be anti-aging on your entire body, including your joints, is choose your exercises wisely. And I gave you a couple examples there. Number two, in any given exercise, try to fatigue your muscles within about 90 seconds. And this has to do with the fibers that you are recruiting. As you age, you tend to lose what's called your type 2 muscle fibers more rapidly than your type 1 muscle fibers. These type 2 fibers are your strength and power fibers. They make up most of the mass or the size of your muscle, which is why losing these type 2 fibers due to sarcopenia will reduce the size of your muscles. These fibers are only recruited when your body perceives that the force is high enough. So when you lift something that is heavy or if there's enough force to the muscle, like in a bodyweight step up, right? Your brain will call in these fibers to help you complete the movement. These are not endurance fibers and they fatigue quickly, i.e. where the 90 seconds comes in. This is why you want to be pretty fatigued after that 90 seconds. How I do this in class is that we work a muscle group again for about 90 seconds and those last few reps so that last, you know, like 10, 15 seconds or so is pretty difficult and you're pretty fatigued. You're struggling by the end of that set. Then after we've done that, we work another muscle group while that one is resting. So I'll give you an example. So we do maybe our right glute for 90 seconds and then while that glute is resting, we'll work our left glute for 90 seconds. Then we let both of them rest and maybe work our right quad for 90 seconds and then the left quad. And then by the time we've looped back to the right glute for our second set, that glute has had a little bit of time to recover. So I feel like I'm getting a little bit in the weeds here and I'm not talking about sets and reps and all of those things. But again, you're just looking to be fatigued after about 90 seconds. And you can repeat again, like sometimes we'll do sets up to four times. It just kind of depends on the exercise selection and how cooked I think the muscles will be. But after your workout, if you've worked these type two fibers, they take a long time to recover anyway, anywhere from days to weeks. On the other hand, you have type 1 fibers that are smaller and don't account for as much muscle mass as the type 2 fibers do. These are your endurance fibers that you use uh, for posturing, when you walk, when you run, or when you do anything that requires a lower level contraction but higher repetition. These fibers are fatigue resistant and recover almost immediately, but they're not very strong. They don't have much capacity for producing a bunch of force and only recruiting these in your workouts won't create much change in your body as recruiting the type two fibers will. Again, because those type one fibers just don't make up as much mass in your muscles as the type two fibers do. So how do you know you're recruiting type two fibers and not just recycling your type one fibers over and over in your workouts? So there's this process called inroading, which is temporary weakness after your type 2 fibers are used up in an exercise. My members have heard me talk about this concept I came up with called the stairs test or the hairdryer test. So you know you've recruited your type 2 fibers if it feels difficult to go up and down the stairs after your workout or if it feels difficult to like dry your hair. This means that you accurately targeted your muscles in a way that if you have the right recovery and the right fuel will probably lead to muscular results. So again, the reason that those (laughs) tests are there is because it should feel almost difficult to complete those tasks because your muscles are temporarily weaker. Okay, this leads me to the third principle, which is extremely important and it's recovering properly. You hear me talk about this all the time, but I'm telling you, this is like, (laughs) to me, one of the easiest things to do and yet people struggle with it the most. So step one and step two are useless if they're not followed by adequate recovery. And I'm not talking about stretching and foam rolling and going to the sauna. I'm talking about time. Your workout is damaging to your muscles. Muscles grow or hypertrophy when protein synthesis exceeds protein degradation. 
muscle cells will grow when there's enough nutrients and the energy expenditure is low. Meaning when you're fueling properly with food and not demanding much from that muscle after you've worked it out, that's when you'll start to see muscle growth. Conversely, muscles shrink when there is too much demand to the muscle and not enough space for protein synthesis to occur. So if you don't give your body time to build up proteins from the breakdown in your workouts, your muscles can actually start to atrophy or shrink, which is the opposite of what we want when it comes to anti-aging, right? Because more muscle mass equals a faster metabolism, better cardiovascular health, all of those things. Basically, more muscle mass leads to a more youthful body. So a couple of tips for recovery. Number one is give any muscle group that you work at least two days, sometimes longer before you work it again, especially if you've tapped into those type two fibers that require kind of more recovery. This will allow your muscles to actually adapt and change before they're stressed again. And then number two is to sleep enough. Um, I just read a study that shows even short periods of sleep restriction, like after one week can impair muscle function and inhibit muscle growth. In fact, that same study showed that even just one night of crappy sleep could inhibit muscular regeneration by 18%, like just one night. (laughs) So since sleep is so vital for results, I fully recommend to never sacrifice like seven to eight hours of sleep for an extra workout. Four solid strength training workouts per week with seven to eight hours of sleep per night will probably yield much better results than, say, seven workouts a week with most of your nights that are only four, five, six hours of sleep. If you have to, prioritize more quality sleep and fewer workouts that are really high quality than crappy sleep with lots of workouts that really end up being low quality. All right, so just to summarize, exercise can be aging on your joints, right? It can cause more joint degeneration and damage and inhibit your ability to move and it can be painful and you can feel like you're 80 when you're only 35. Conversely, exercise can be anti-aging in that it can improve your metabolism, it can improve your muscle, it can improve your cardiovascular health, all of those things. So three things that we want to add into our workouts to make sure that they are more on the anti-aging side is number one, be smart about your exercise selection. Low impact isn't necessarily better. The force through your joints is more important, and I gave you a couple examples there. If you need more guidance on this, make sure that you join Evlo. Number two, in any given exercise, try to fatigue your muscles within about 90 seconds. If you could do an exercise like forever (laughs) into infinity, it's probably working those type one fibers, not your type two fibers, and you're probably not going to see much muscle adaptation and muscle growth there. And then number three is to make sure you're recovering properly. Prioritize sleep over a workout. Make sure that you are, you know, separating your muscle groups and not working them on consecutive days, etc. So hope this was helpful. If you want to start applying this into a program that is really structured for you, you're going to want to join Evlo Fitness. EvloFitness.com, E-V-L-O Fitness.com. There's a seven-day free trial. You can always check it out. We have so much fun in there. We'd love to see you, and we will see you next week. Thanks for listening. Bye.